Hi, my name is Chris Stoker, and on this podcast, we love to interview teachers and pick their brains for some of the great lessons and ideas they've developed for teaching science. I've always felt that crafting good lessons is a creative process, and yet we don't often get to share that process with others. This podcast tries to highlight some of those creative end products, along with many of the strategies, tips, and educational philosophy that teachers have acquired along the way. For this episode, Becky Fakus and I interview Ashley Schaffner, the STEM Ecosystem Hub Coordinator for the South Central and Eastern part of Idaho. She'll explain more of that later, as well as give us a broader understanding of the definition of STEM. Ashley has a great passion for getting kids thinking and solving real-world problems, and it's good stuff, so let's jump in. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for being uh, with us today. Uh, why don't you do a little intro for us? Tell us, you know, where you work and your background and um, all that good stuff. Perfect. Yeah, I'm Ashley Schaffner. I am one of three regional hub coordinators for the Idaho STEM ecosystem. So I've been in this position for a little over two years. My main focus is South Central and Eastern Idaho, so Match Valley, Pocatello, Idaho Falls, Salmon, Chalice, all of that. Um, Before that, I was a teacher for 10 years, so I taught for seven years in Blackfoot, and my main focus when I was there was first grade, so littles, Um, but I got to do some summer school, and I worked with K through two, so I was still pretty little (laughs) with that group, and then I transitioned to Pocatello. I've lived in Pocatello my whole life, and I was making the drive But when I had my son, that drive was just too much. And so I started teaching in Pocatello. I taught there for three years and I taught a combined third and fourth grade class. And then during the summer while I was there, I did summer school for fifth through eighth grade. So kind of a vast array of students I've gotten to to work with over the years. Yeah, you have a lot of experience in in the whole K-8 then, it sounds like. Yeah, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Did you always want to be a teacher or how did you land on that? What's your story? So my mom was a teacher and has been a teacher most of my life. She taught kindergarten. And so for a lot of my life, I I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to follow in my mom's footsteps and even still looking back as an adult, she's one of the most amazing, inspiring teachers that I know. She just does a really good job engaging students and helping them grow and become the best little people that they can be. Um, But even as an adult, I see how she handled, you know, interactions with parents or interactions with administrators. And I'm like, oh, you are who I want to be when I grow up. Um, But there was a little bit of time where I wanted to be a nurse after I had surgery one time. So uh, I thought they were really cool and amazing. Um, And then there was a while where I decided I wanted to be an astronaut. And I was actually just talking to my husband about this. I decided I didn't want to do that because the scientists behind the scenes get to do all the cool stuff. Like they get to do all the problem solving. We see the astronauts, but all the cool stuff is done by the behind the scenes people. So threw that one to the side and decided I didn't want to do that. Yeah, that's really true, isn't it? Yeah. My mom was a kindergarten teacher uh, for a lot of years. After I had left home, she started doing kinders. So I have a lot of respect for kinder teachers, just hearing her stories. So For a long time, I was convinced I was going to teach kindergarten. And uh, my first job offer was first grade. And I was like, well, we'll start here. And then I 
fell in love with my first graders and stayed there for seven years. So that's nice. a lot of fun though. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're to the part uh, now of our chat where we'd love for you to walk us through one of your favorite lessons. Um, and so kind of give us what it's like for, you know, students to walk through it and then unpack it for us a little bit, what, why you like it and why you think it works. Yeah. So I've got to give a little bit of background before I get into that. When I was teaching first grade in Blackfoot, um, I taught for a couple of years and it was just a really tiny school. Uh, so we didn't have an art teacher. We didn't have music teachers. We didn't have PE teachers. Like all of the specials fell on us. And so we decided as a team, we were going to split that up because people have different strengths, right? My strength was not music. <laughs> so we decided to sort it out and I wound up with um, computer lab. And most of the time the kiddos would like go in and get on one of the programs that we had, which are fabulous programs, but they would do that during like ELA or math too. So I didn't want it to be a repeat. I didn't want my six-year-olds on screens all day. So I went to um, went to Google <laughs> and went to the Idaho State Standards and found that there's computer science standards. And so, and they were pretty new at the time when I was doing this. And so I developed out based off of those standards, a computer science and coding curriculum for my first graders. Um, and so out of that came this lesson that I love and has just continued to live forever. And I've done it with, I mean, everybody, I've done it with kinders and first grade and fifth grade and middle schoolers. And I do it with adults every summer. Um, and it's really fun. And I, I call it, I'm sure there's a better name. This is not a creative name, but I just call it coding each other. Um, but it was really, really fun because it was this great like cross-curricular activity that hits a bunch of standards in obviously computer science, but also in writing and in speaking and listening, which are two big, big areas for first grade. Um, and so the way the activity works is that the kids have this background of like what coding is. They understand that it's a set of instructions given to a computer. And they also understand that a computer can come in many different forms. It's not just like the desktop or the Chromebook that they have. It's also your TVs and your microwaves and robots and, you know, the Alexa devices and all of those things can be computers. Right. So we start this activity and I tell them that I'm going to be a robot and they're going to have to code me. And so we, we talk through like, what do they need me to do? Usually we would start small, like you just need to get me from here to my desk, right? And we talk about what instructions we would need and we'd write them on the boards and the kids would write them down. Um, so they're getting that dual, right, piece of it. Um, and then I'd have them code me, just out loud verbally code me. And I think they really, really loved it because I would let them shout out. And in first grade, you don't, you can't let them shout out very often or it's just chaos, but, but they got, this was their, this was their activity to shout out. Right. And they would shout code at me and I would do exactly what they said to the T, which I'm sure people have seen in like, there's the peanut butter and jelly expository writing lesson that you'll see where the kids write. And then the teacher follows it exactly same idea. And so it was always really fun because I would inevitably like end up running into walls or 
tripping over children or spilling water, you know, like crazy things. And the kids get laughing and giggling and it gives them a really good opportunity to learn how to debug um, and go back through our code and, and rework the directions they had given me. Um, and it also gives them that chance to learn about giving really clear specific instructions when they speak and when they write. And um, we progressively get harder in our tasks and then eventually I pair them up. And this was where I think it really sticks for them is they still get all the giggling and the laughing and the like, oh my goodness, I ran my friend into the wall. But it gives them a chance to code for kids who can't read or write. Because you get first graders who can't read or write and code is often text-based. And they can't do that, but this gives them that experience and it gives them the experience of being the robot, being the computer, which is a very abstract thing. Like the computer following directions is very abstract until you put it in the real world and put them in a position to be that computer. Right. And it really gives them a deeper understanding of, of how this works. So it's just one I really, really enjoy and it's really memorable. And I've had kids come back years later and tell me like, do you remember when we were robots? And I'm like, I do, I do remember. <laughs> well, that's fun. Um, how do you modify it for adults? I like, and how does that go? I'm, you got me thinking about that. So with adult, just like with anything, you, you kind of pull back the scaffolding depending on their level of experience, right? So with my adults, I teach every year at the iSTEM Institute. Um, okay. I, I teach at one of the three that's over here. I've been at all three. So it's College of Eastern Idaho, Idaho State University, and College of Southern Idaho. Um, but I use this to show them. And sometimes, depending on the years, sometimes I'll treat them like the kids. So I'll do it just like I did there and be like, you are six years old now, be six years old. And other times I'll do it like adults. And I'll say, hey, I'm not I'm not going to baby step you through this. We're going to do one where we practice together so you can see what this looks like. And then I'm sending you and your partner off on your own. And I don't give them as clear of guidelines. So with my littles, I'll say your task with your partner is this. Your task with your partner is to get them to the gym and back. But with the adults, I'm like, go make your robot complete something. And when you come back, you're going to report out on what their task was and how the two of you did. And so it's really fun. And I have, oh my goodness, hundreds of pictures of adults wandering college campuses, just <laughs> laughing and running into things. And it's so fun. What what sort of task, what does the task look like typically? Is it just, give us a sense for that when they pair off. So for the littles, their task is usually getting somewhere and getting back because we're really focused on some simple directions. Um, and even with that, they've got to do left and right, which can be hard for littles. They've got to do like going forward a certain amount. There's some measurement to it. And so that can be tricky for adults. We've had that. I've had adults who are like, we are going to get a drink out of the drinking fountain, which is way harder than you would think it should be. But there's a lot of times they get to the drinking fountain. They're like, wait, so I can't just tell her to get a drink. And I was like, no, she doesn't know what that means. She's a robot. You haven't coded that yet. And she's like, Okay, okay, so we've got to bend in half and then they bend in half and their face is like in the drinking fountain. Well, that <laughs> could be fun. That was too far. Yeah, <laughs> so it's really fun. And we've had some that just like took a tour of the campus. I lost them for a bit and they had gone outside and gone like 
around the building and picked flowers and came back in. And so nice. for some of those where I don't give guidelines, they've gotten creative. I love it. I think it's really good to bring it to a relevant, usable, visible place for them too. And I think coding each other makes perfect sense now that you've explained it. It's a great name. Yeah. It's it's very clear in what we're doing. <laughs> Doesn't have to be exactly cute. We know what the plan is. It's a lot of fun. And it's low budget. Mm-hmm. Gotta love low budget. Yep. Exactly. Um, so what teaching or instructional strategies have you found that work really well to increase student engagement? Like in this one, obviously you've you've hit the mark. Is there something easy that you can add to like an everyday activity that you think really can rope them in on that engagement? So one thing I found that really increases student engagement is when you can give students a problem to solve that is real for them. So you were talking about with coding each other, you give them a task and it's, it's a real thing. They're like, oh, I've really got to get my friend to the gym and get them back. Um, or it could be broader. It could be like a problem that your community is having. I was in Bear Lake last year and one of the students was talking about how gas prices in Bear Lake for his father who does agriculture were just insane. And so he on his own was trying to figure out how to like make gas more accessible in their very tiny community so that the gas prices wouldn't be so high. So when you give them these very real problems, they tend to own that and they want to figure it out and they feel this sense of pride when they figure out how to solve the problem. And sometimes those things can be daunting as teachers because we don't we don't always know what direction students are gonna go. Like you hope that they're gonna use this concept you taught them and sometimes they veer off and, but that authenticity really helps them own it. And it also helps build kids who are gonna be ready for the future. Like when they leave, they're not gonna be these structured problems. It's like, hey, our students are not, you know, reaching the scores we want them to be reaching in math. How are we going to help support them? There's no like right answer there for us when we're trying to solve those problems. So helping students get a feel for, there's not a right answer, but let's just see if we can get to the result we're hoping for. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's true in all of education. Um, especially in science, and we don't know what the problems are even yet that our students will be solving. That's a really great tip. Becky, it seems like you kind of did a lot of that in your background with having kids come up with solutions when there wasn't really one solution. And like, I didn't, I don't feel like I did as much as that of that. And so I, part of me wishes I could go back, you know, and like redo some yeah, stuff. I agree. And for me, it was really, it was just about getting them interested because they, the, the group of students I was working with didn't really have a lot of interest in science with quotes around it, but they were interested in their own community or their own food problems or things like that. So it, it was a easy way to increase their investment. So I agree with Ashley on that for sure. Ashley, it seems like uh, you're kind of talking about STEM here, um, you know, by making it more engaging. So the phrase STEM gets used in a lot of different ways. So why don't you give us like your definition? What what would you call something that's STEM and um, what does it look like, you know, to you? So for me, it kind of goes back to what I've talked about is it's all about 
problem solving and critical thinking. It's a way to attack problems and, and deal with issues in the world around you. And that's why when people will talk to me and they're like, I don't do STEM. I'm like, yeah, you do. You have to solve problems every day. Like whether you think it's very specifically you work in a science or technology field or whether it's more of like, oh, I had this problem at work today and I had to figure out how to address that. That's, that's STEM to me. And it's all about taking that mindset and taking the opportunity to fail and to learn from those failures and to grow from those failures um, that I think really defines STEM because that's, I mean, that's the world we're in today, right? Science is ever evolving where, you know, new understanding and based on research, new knowledge is coming out all the time. Technology is growing and changing all the time. Um, and Becky talked about this. We don't know what the next problems are going to be, but if we can teach kids to think critically and to be willing to fail as they try to solve those problems, then I think we've got them set and, and as ready as we can for the world ahead of them. So if, if I'm a secondary science teacher and you're helping me, you know, or I'm at something where I'm talking to you about STEM and, and I say, I don't really do a lot of STEM and you, you give me the speech you just did. And I say, why? I'm really trying to focus on the standards in science, the state standards, and um, hit those with my students. Would you say if I hit the standards, I'm doing STEM, or would you say I need to like just stress problem solving as part of that, or collaboration, or creativity, or like how would you? What would your message be in that situation? So you can always use, and I and I encourage this because I was a teacher. I know you have to hit the standards, right? Like it's not. It's not really a negotiable thing that <laughs> the kids are tested on those standards, we're measured by those standards, but using those standards to help guide how you're going to get them there. Like there's always two ways to it, right? You can always straight up teach them like, here's what erosion does, or you can give them the opportunity to really experience it and think about how they're going to address, for example, if you put a house on a mountain, and the mountain starts to erode away from under you, what are you going to do about that? Like, what does that look like? So a lot of times teachers will come to me and they're like, I have these standards I have to hit. I can't add something else. I'm like, you're not adding. We, we don't want you to add. We want you to just take that and use it as an opportunity to help your students solve problems and, and look at real world issues. That's awesome. Thank you. Can you explain for everyone what the Idaho STEM ecosystem is and why things were restructured with the STEM Action Center? Yeah, yeah. So more broadly, I'm going to kind of answer your question in a couple parts. So more broadly, I find myself talking to a lot of people and trying to convince them like, no, you are STEM. You do STEM. You're using STEM concepts because I get a lot of people that are like, well, I don't feel like this is part of STEM for X, Y, and Z. Um, and so just trying to break that down of, of, no, you are doing STEM. There's STEM all around us. And just because you don't have all four letters specifically in the lessons you're doing, like you're still STEM. You're part of that, that spectrum, part of that broader community. And so the ecosystem um, is all about helping support that. So it was formed in 2019. 
under the Idaho STEM Action Center, which a lot of people are very familiar with, especially educators. Um, that's how I got involved because I'd been interacting with the, the STEM AC for a while. Um, and some fabulous people at the STEM AC went to a convening for the STEM Learning Ecosystem Communities of Practice. So SLECOP, I'm gonna shorten it because it's way easier. Um, and SLECOP was all about helping build connections, helping promote STEM and STEM education across the United States. And they were like, we wanna be a part of this. We see what they're doing, we think it's cool. So they applied 2019, they were accepted to be part of that and we became an official ecosystem. Um, and so the ecosystem is all about fostering the integration of STEM, creating problem solvers and critical thinkers. And it all leads to, like I've said, this preparing students for the future, preparing them for jobs that will help sustain our, our economy, right? Um, but it, what it boils down to is that the hub coordinators especially work within the communities that we're in and the communities that we support to help with access to STEM, STEM education, STEM resources across all ages and levels. So we're not just K-12, we go, we, we say we work from cradle to gray, so we work in early childhood, we work K-12, we work with higher ed, we work with industry partners, we work with out of school, we work with libraries to kind of pull everybody together and support them as they support their students. Um, so we started in the STEM AC and then we transitioned in July and we now are housed under Idaho Business for Education. Um, there were a couple of reasons for this. One of the reasons was when the STEM ecosystem was first developed, um, we were developed under the STEM AC and all of those people had other jobs, right? Like Caitlin McGuire was our executive director and her job was executive director of the STEM Action Center. And part of that was to work with the ecosystem. And Erica Compton was a program manager and part of her job was the ecosystem. Um, John McFarland does uh, externships and STEM diplomas and STEM designated schools. And part of his job was the ecosystem. So they recognized that was not going to be sustainable for growth. And in 2021, they hired three hub coordinators. We were hired on as contractors. So we weren't full-time employees. We were contractors, but it helped us grow over that next year and a half. And we continued to grow and we continued to need more of a uh, permanent structure in place. And so the STEM AC recognized this and started looking for somewhere where we could be, whether that was become our own nonprofit, live under a nonprofit, there were options that were thrown out. And we ended up under IBE, which is a nonprofit. But with that, we now have five full-time employees where our whole job is helping support this work, being dedicated to the growth of STEM education in Idaho. Um, and it's been really amazing over the last few months to see how just that transition has made it so we can really hit the ground running um, and accomplish a lot of, of work. So the other part of that is that the STEM AC is shifting focus a little bit. They're focusing more on strategic statewide initiatives. So they're working with State Department of Education, Workforce Development Council, um, other bigger organizations to make sure that they're all kind of headed in the same direction in terms of STEM in Idaho. Um, 
And so it was those two reasons that we wound up under the um, under Idaho Business for Education. Nice. A lot of moving pieces, it sounds like, in the last you know, few years to kind of make this happen. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. That's a pretty complicated answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a complicated shift. I cut a lot a of complicated out ecosystem. <laughs> so how do you think then hubs can help teachers like the three hubs, northern Idaho, southwest, southeast Idaho? Like how what are you hoping teachers do to like make use of you, especially in the Pocatello, eastern Idaho area? Yeah, so at the very like least time commitment, least investment, because you guys know this, some teachers just, they don't, they don't have any more. All of it is going to their kids. All of it is going to the work that they're doing. They don't, they don't have more, right? Um, so like the least is we have a newsletter and in that we are always sharing um, events that are coming up or opportunities across the state, whether that's in terms of funding or scholarships for students or competitions that they can be a part of or different programs and organizations, like just getting that newsletter <laughs> so that you, you are aware of what's happening. And if you see something cool, you can chase it. Right. Um, and then we also have a community platform that I'm going to plug, which is very, very cool. Uh, it's at community.idahostem.org. Um, but in there, there are funding opportunities because I don't know a school or teacher alive that's like, no, we don't need your money. <laughs> <laughs> so we have funding opportunities. Some of them come directly from us. Some of them are from different partners um, that we work with that are amazing. There's events there. There's resources. So if you're 3D printing and you're just starting your 3D printing journey, you're like, I don't, know. I don't know what I'm doing. There's a whole file folder of really cool resources that we vetted out where we're like this, this is where you should start. This is gonna be the most helpful to you. Um, and then you can also connect to each other on there. So if you're like, hey, I'm doing a STEM night. I really need somebody from INL. Who from INL is on here that can come to my STEM night? Um, then you can reach out. And those people are there exactly for that reason. They wanna, connect with teachers they want to interact with you to help you in your classrooms or with after school events or whatever the case may be and then if they're if you're like really gung-ho you're like I'm in I'm excited about the work being done all three of the hubs have different working groups at different levels at this point but where you can meet we meet via zoom because our hubs are I mean even Swish, which is our Southwest Idaho hub, which is just region three, it's only one region. That's still a big area. And so they meet virtually, Chris knows this, he's on those meetings. They meet virtually um, to discuss what's going on, to discuss upcoming opportunities, to discuss ways to improve access to STEM within their regions. Um, and if nothing else, it gets you connected to us and you see our beautiful faces. So when we show up at things, we're not strangers. I love it. What advice would you give to your first year teaching self to help yourself get started? What, what magic advice that you've gleaned over the years would you tell your first year self? That's a good question. Cause you always look back and you're like, oh, I wish I had known, right? Definitely. But I think probably my best advice is just to give yourself the grace and room to fail. Like I was one of those students that 
was the perfectionist and I had to do it right. And I knew, I knew there was a right way to do it. And so I was going to, my assignment was going to be right. I was going to have the A, I was, you know, all those things. And when you're a first year teacher, you, you fail sometimes, like you mess up or you plan this lesson that you're like, this is going to be the most amazing thing ever. And then you get it in front of those kids and it was not the most amazing thing ever. Boy, that's the truth. Or, or there's always like the interactions with kids too, where you, you know, they have a problem or whatever, and they come to you and then you look back on it and you're like, Ooh, I wish I would have handled that a little bit differently. Right. But just, just allowing yourself to do that and not beating yourself up over it and understanding that it's, it's okay to fail. And that's where you grow, right? Like the fabulous, amazing lessons are wonderful and we need those or nobody would stay in teaching because it's so hard. <laughs> but the ones that you messed up on is where you you grow and you change that lesson. And then the next time you do it, it is way better and it is engaging and the kids are excited. Or when you you know didn't interact with that student the way you wish you had or give them the advice you wish you had given them, the next time that comes up, it's way better and you are able to to make those changes. So just telling myself to breathe and it's okay to mess up sometimes. Yeah, that's really solid advice. Well, I think it's a really good reminder for veteran teachers too, you know, give yourself grace and be patient and it's okay, work through it, so. Good point. Sometimes you get to that veteran level and you you think you should have it together by then, right? Yeah. You forget that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ashley, tell us about a positive memory or experience that you have that involves students. Um, you know, it could be something funny or something you're really proud of or whatever you think about, like, is a glowing memory for you. So one of one of my favorite memories that I love to share um, is when I was teaching first grade, I had this little girl in my class and she's just the quietest, sweetest little thing, right? And we were working on long A with the silent E on the end. And we were in little small group centers and she was sitting next to me and we were playing a game and I said the word grape. And so they were supposed to be spelling out grape, you know, like the food. And I hear her start singing to herself and she's singing Amazing Grace, but everywhere that it says grace, she says grapes. And so I had to stop her and I'm like, what, what are you, what are you singing? And she goes, oh, it's this song I learned at church. It's about grapes because grapes are just amazing. <laughs> I could not correct her, but I had to, I had to share it with her mom. I'm like, this is the best. Please let That's her be like this forever. <laughs> Gotta lose those amazing grapes. That's yeah. really cute. Um, is there anything else that you would want to share with our teachers today? Um, just that teachers are amazing, especially in Idaho. We're really lucky to have amazing educators who are really, really passionate about their students. Every teacher I interact with, every classroom I'm in, I get to see them in, in action and it amazes me every time. And so just keep doing what you're doing. Know that people do notice it, even if you don't feel like it's being noticed. And don't hesitate to reach out if you need support. That's why the hub coordinators are here. I know that there's people all across the state, the Idaho Science Coaches, the Regional Math Centers, like 
we want to help and we want to be a support system for you. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Ashley. I, what I love about what you've shared is I feel like it's really reasonable advice. It isn't like redo everything you're doing. Um, it's just kind of like, just do one more little intentional thing, you know, to increase problem solving and collaboration and, you know, throw in some real world stuff. And uh, it just feels encouraging and uh, motivating. And I just thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Ashley. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate um, you inviting me to come speak. Our pleasure.